Lucky Lucky Stars, we're back, Don't Slam Your Podcast. We are finally here, the very last episode of Series 2, the main series. And so we are now going on to the second part, which is Thank You Lucky Stars. Joining me, well, returning to discuss the other episodes. I'll see that again. Returning to discuss Thank You Lucky Stars is Dr. Mark Aldridge. Hello, Mark. And it's been very long time since I last spoke to you. How have you been up to in the last half an hour? <laughs> well, I know we've just had our very exciting little lunch break because even we can't talk about uh, 2.4 children for uh, two hours uninterrupted. Um, but yeah, looking forward to chatting about this one because it's quite a different one, this one, I think, to, to the first half of the story. Oh, absolutely. So we've we've had our um, initiation um, in the first part, so we'll go straight into the view. This is for Thank You Lucky Stars. Episode 7, Thank You Lucky Stars, the second part of the two-part finale. The family await news of, uh, of, of uh, their son, David, who is uh, suffering from tetanus. And Rona is trying to get to her wedding. Uh, there's a lot of internal conversations about life in this. It's kind of quite reflective in many ways. Um, and they, uh, the family, are feeling pretty bad about, uh, you know, maybe they'll never see David again. It's it's a horribly worrying t- time for a parent when your child is ill because you're never quite uh, sure they're going to recover. And it certainly looks a bit dicey here. Uh, and uh, Rona, on the other hand, is having slightly second thoughts about the wedding. She's she's run off from this guy the first time, and I don't think she's entirely convinced that she's got it in her to not uh, to, to 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 just devote herself to one man because she enjoys you know the freewheeling life she has, and and um, uh, she meets this woman on a bus. Who tells her about this this old song, the the, the girlfriend of the whirling dervish, who's who, <laughs> which uh, it tells the story of of of, of uh, a woman who was always out philandering when her husband was was busy, and Rona, I think, uh, reminded of her doubts about this. The family go to David's hospital room when they finally find him, and. Uh, he does indeed look in the most terrible state, and we we did we did carefully, uh, we did think, you know, sh- should we make him look exactly as he would if he did, you know, have tetanus, and 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 uh, we we decided that uh, for the sake of realism, he should, you know, have all the you know ventilating things or whatever it was that uh, they would put on to a certain extent to to give a. a you know, a realistic feeling of, of what was going on. And then finally at the end, a little bit of double magic happens. Uh, David imagines he sees the biker who has a conversation with him and points out how much the family love him. And as a result, David decides to return to life. Uh, and the biker, having done his work, disappears. Uh, meanwhile, Rona, who uh, arrives at the church and has a vision of an enormous musical number to the tune of the girlfriend of the whirling dervish, uh, does a runner a second time and thinks about it carefully and decides that maybe she did do the right thing after all. And uh, they all go off for a, a relatively happy ending. Uh, with a recovered David, and uh, that's the end of series two.
So first thing I noticed in this is the opening credits. I always love it when audiences are, unex- are, are jarred by something that's different than the usual. So the fact that I love the, the, the theme tune, it's slower and a bit more, it's, it's, it sets the tone for the whole episode. Yeah, it does. And and it's this really difficult thing in comedies when they, they do a sort of serious episode. Because what I think is quite interesting about this one is that, especially in your sort of chill, child-focused, I guess, sitcoms in America, where you might learn a lesson from the big serious story that week. But we're actually not learning anything <laughs> from, no. from this. It's not like you're coming away from this serious topic of or, you know, for the for the characters and going okay well now I must remember to look out for the early signs of tetanus that is absolutely not what it's all about it's I don't want to say an excuse but it's it's a way to ensure that the characters actually uh, get to, to take stock of their lives a little bit um, so yeah there's sort of melancholy opening I think is is a really good way to achieve it. it's not that we're ever that far away from a joke of course you're referring to the American episodes in the 80s when they were called a very special episode. And and just exactly, the phrase, yes. a very special episode, just makes me want to puke. Because <laughs> it's like, I mean, I don't watch a lot of um, 80s American sitcoms of the, of the kind of ones that had very special episodes. But if you think like um, a lot of them were very, these, these kind of crazy series that were very silly, really. But then they would have an episode about paedophilia just randomly yeah. and you're just like oh god whereas drug um, use comes up a lot often it's about someone being offered drugs or knowing someone who's offered nondescript vague drugs and so the lesson of the week would be you know to not take drugs kids but the idea is that someone watching an episode of blossom or something is going to suddenly you know rethink their outlook on life because of that you know 22 minutes is, is unconvincing uh, to say the least the only show i think that could be very you could say is similar to 2.4 children in in of the year of those american series was golden girls because mm. they would do episodes which were more about very serious issues and but still find it funny they still find yeah. the humor and everything um which i i think works in this episode i think if you are going to make a point you don't want to be patronized and the special episodes in america did that whereas this is much more as you say you don't realize you learn anything it's just an episode for the characters to reflect on their lives and and but with humor although i would say that that it is a, a quite a political episode for for some of it in terms of the way it discusses obviously Thatcher and the NHS um, being sort of chronically underfunded, which you know watching this thirty years later, not much has changed. Um, and, and so I guess that is one of the things that it is doing that it's try it is trying to make a serious point there, and it does do it very effectively because obviously this is a character we care about in a difficult uh, position but also um we know that bill is is gonna tell us everything that we should <laughs> we should be outraged about and that people just seem to be accepting it's a ve- it is got a lot of social commentary and it's one that again it, for me and I've, i sort of recognized it a few years ago and i watched it and i say a few years ago, i mean like probably 10 10 years ago but now as you say in 2020 2021 you know these this scene these scenes in, in the beginning with the hospital sort of recapping how it how the previous episode ended. Um, the the doctor um, Brooke, who's played by Victor McGuire from Bread and and Goodnight Sweetheart, his pager goes off and there's a kerfuffle because there's football fans arriving, 
and I love that there's a bit when the nurse says, uh, well, he says to a nurse, oh, they need extra beds. And she says, oh, well, I haven't used mine since Thursday. So mm. it's a, as you say, it's an example of things that we still recognise in the NHS, even a few years ago, but more so in, within the last year because of the um, the big thing that we're all going through that I'm not going to mention its name. Um, <laughs> so the doctor says it's Saturday, must be stitches. And that's quite that's quite a funny joke, actually, when he talks about football. That's, that was a big thing at the time, um, football hooliganism. And I'm not saying that it's gone away, but but that it was certainly one of the big sort of tabloid discussions about you know how tabloids change their mind about what's wrong with the country. And at the time, football hooliganism was seen as, as one particular thing. Um, mm. And I don't know that that necessarily dates it, but it's interesting how often um, Bill when she's exasperated, that's very often when she will talk about social commentary and stuff. And obviously we know that Bill, well, we don't necessarily know how she votes, but we know that she's not voting Tory. Oh, 100%. Um, but, but, it, but it's interesting that also she can be a complete snob because there's this whole thing about Sky TV that is particularly <laughs> prominent in the first couple of seasons where she sees that as a, the worst possible thing. And I don't think it's because she has any particular dislike of Murdoch, but the idea is that you would want to pump more of this sort of lowbrow entertainment into your home is something that she sees, you know, she's really quite snobbish about. So she's not not necessarily this great big liberal, um, but she is somebody who has very strong opinions, I think, and isn't afraid to express them. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think I've never seen, I've never seen a sitcom where that is explored more more kind of directly as it is here so when she is what I like about the show is the fact as you say she's exasperated but you feel like the reaction is genuine it's a bit like when they have the, the fire the house fire at the end of series four she's talking about you know you never think this would happen to you and you think it's gonna happen to careless people who can't look after their children properly and then the fact that she and Jenny kind of blame themselves and then we learn that Ben didn't take David for his tetanus booster is quite telling mm. um, that he's he's a good dad but obviously scared of needles and so in that moment he did definitely fail really he did he did do he was kind of a bit selfish when he should have been doing it for the sake of his young son yes yes and it, it, this whole thing about the family dynamics they get to calm down a bit in this episode and rather than having the whole you know, children bickering at each other and just generally stressed parents. They're, this is a very rare time where they actually get the, the chance to sort of sit down and assess their lives in, in a way, um, in a way that usually they're caught up with so much craziness. Um, but but having said that, the, the, the programme, the episode does a really good job of making sure that we move on from that fairly quickly because nobody wants to watch half an hour of that. What you want is for that to be part of what the comedy is. So, um, well, uh, well, well, we'll discuss as, as you take us through the episode, but we don't stick with just sort of people being sad and worried. There's plenty of other things going on this episode too. It's the way that I think Andrew Marshall structures it. So we go from scene that's serious, scene that's funny. So a great example is we go from the, the hospital scene um, into um, the church where there's a man who tells Pearl he's there for, when she asks, are you here for the bride or groom? <coughs> he says the bride. So he sits down in a section of the church and the camera pans and it's this long row of men who clearly are Rona's ex-suitors, all very much looking the same, very much her type. And the way the guests all look over and, and just sort of, 
they know deep down what it is and that yeah. they just want to ignore it and they don't want to judge. It's it's a very, yeah. very good visual. Yeah, it's just, and it's so well done. You're you're right about the structure because it's a quick jab, a quick um gag. It's a quick way to to get a bit of comedy in there that isn't going to detract from the seriousness of what's happening with the porters. And actually, one of the good things about you know, that fantastic little speech that that Belinda Lang does as as Bill as Thatcher, um, which is so well done. But that is really good because it's a very funny joke that also isn't Bill making jokes, which yeah. is a very fine line because you couldn't believe that Bill would be laughing at anything at this point, of course. No. But she is expressing things that, you know, for an audience. I remember I watched it with a friend a few years ago couple of friends actually um and they sort of shrieked at that because it's so funny when she suddenly moves into the Thatcher voice and she does that thing about you know nailing furniture to the ceiling and stuff like that and it, it's really good it suddenly becomes like a mini spitting image for for a minute or so so there, there's loads that can still amuse whilst also making sure that the the situation feels serious and I think sort of going off what you said it, it gets the point across in a better way because it's not like like today with and I'm not gonna I don't want to go into like a, a, a geeky rant but it's like with Doctor Who these days a lot of the a lot of moments they have like these kind of speeches about you know something that's current but it feels like it's just it's just vomiting a load of lecturing talk to you if you know what I mean mm. whereas yes, yeah. now, now as you say the humor makes it work and her impression of Thatcher is brilliant and um, you think god she, she gives Mel Streep and um, Julian Anderson a run for the money for the Thatcher impression and I like the fact that um, the way that it builds up to her saying I'm sorry but I'm ashamed that a woman would stand in the way of the sick and the suffering getting the proper treatment and she's standing in front of the door with a bunch of football fans waiting with like scars and and and, and, and bloodied faces and they, she can't and they can't get him and it's just yes. it's just it's just you know quite um ironic and again she plays it so well because she's so oblivious another actress could play that part very very knowing but she doesn't and that's why it works so well um and yeah when you say that before about about football hooliganism they they walk in and they are quite stereotypical of kind of football fans i, yes. I mean i probably come across um even now i mean I've, I've lived in manchester city center a couple of years ago and when it was the last world cup and you know lord i, I there i could say that the the stereotype of footballers if you didn't think they still existed you just had to be there in the world cup join the world cup and and notice it and you know she gets and you can just tell she's getting more and more aggravated and built and bent like calm down and when she just says you know she calls them more and says it's a shame that someone can't enjoy a spectator sport without the desire to part company with part of their bodies for fun and amusement when i next watch the sports on tv i shall stick my hand in the liquidizer (laughs) this has that it's it's another funny moment but as you say it's not a joke it's kind of that the thing that does that the the show works and and i noticed this in one foot in the grave the humor comes out of dialogue not in jokes but just in what they're saying in the moment and it's and it's clever. It's, just, it's not it's not like my family or Miranda and Miranda boys of duh 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 gag. It's a bit yeah. more subtle. It's a bit more. It's very character dialogue. Well, that's it. It's building on what we know about the characters from you know the previous twelve episodes or so. Because without that, it wouldn't really mean anything. But we have seen them 
be affectionate, be a happy family, as well as being a bickering family and being annoyed with each other. So I think that makes a really big difference in this, um, uh, you know, when something dramatic happens. Yeah, they're, they're really sort of um, uh, being able to capitalise on the fact that they've managed to build up these really strong relationships by this point. Absolutely. And, and, and this scene is particularly, it's quite a long scene and a lot happens in it. And it really does kind of um, peak and trough in its kind of humour and serious moments. So then obviously Bill sort of snaps at the, at the man who tells her to calm down. And then Jenny snaps and says, you know, reminds them why they're there. But then Ben breaks the tension by asking them, the, the gang about the score. Which is such yes. a man thing to do. I think there's, you know, I think there's a lot of women who could recognise their husbands or partners doing something like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and there's also, you're right. This is a long scene, um, and of course the the doctors and uh, as you mentioned the nurses as well get a chance to have their own sort of little jokes as well. I can't remember when in the scene, but there's sort of, I should be in theatre, um, uh, in the theatre um, joke. It's a good one that's sort of quite nicely um, uh, set up. And again, it means that you can have comedy without having one of the other relatives, one of the family, suddenly seem like they're not taking it seriously. So it's, it's, it's very well done. Oh, definitely. And then and, and just before that moment, Bill um, it has a way of she has a way of, of 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 kind of trying to bring light to his dark situation for the sake of others. So like when Jenny says she wonders if she'll ever be a bridesmaid again and Bill says, well, you never know, I might even marry your father one day. It's just <laughs> like it. And, and Jenny, you can tell that brings a light relief, which sometimes you just need even in, in the worst moments, you just have to make something funny. And it's not disrespectful. It's not just trying to add comedy. It's actually very human. It's a human trait to find something to laugh about in a dark moment. But as you say, this next moment is a great bit of, of um, bit of a good joke when Bill notices a bed with a man in a blank with a blank over him. Now, even now you hear about this, even pre COVID, dare I said the mm. word, that you hear of people who are literally in beds in corridors you know this like there's piles of of people in beds in corridors she asks if he's all right and he asks he inquires the tap where he is in the time he says i should be in the theater and the way he says it you sound like he could be an actor an actor yes and then he's like um and she went, oh can do you want to help you no it's fine he gets up and he's wearing all his sort of gear and then says um well you know next time i'll sleep in the mortuary it's quieter there and he's just like <laughs> my god it, it, it's it's the fact that he's had to sleep in the hospital but like we heard that nurse say she's not been to her bed since thursday um it says a, it, it's clearly not something that's theorized that must that joke must have come from something that actually happened it wouldn't surprise me yeah, it's definitely picking up on this idea of overworked, you know, NHS staff and and yeah, things that, as I say, haven't really changed much, uh, unfortunately, in the last 30 years or so. And then a brilliant, a real, well, where Ben learns that the, com- the computers have gone down and then this is probably the nastiest joke that they play in, in these two episodes. And that's pretty much, and that's saying a lot because there's a lot of dark comedy. The Doctor Return says that, you know, there's been conflicting results for David's tests. Bill asks where he is and they go, I'm so sorry, but we've lost him. And you can just see the look on Jenny and Bill and Ben's face of just total gut wrench. And then the way that they were like, oh, no, sorry. I mean, we have literally 
lost him. Yes. Computers have gone down. He's in the hospital somewhere. And Victor McGuire's got that brilliant scout accent. He goes, he's in the hospital somewhere. You know, yeah. it's like, oh my God. This is horrible. the joke that I remembered for years. And I always think about now whenever you're watching a drama and they say, you know, we've lost him. I always think of this joke because it's such a good one. <laughs> it's, it's brilliant because I think what Andrew Marshall does very well is that he he takes traits phrases situations that are very pertinent to certain you know environments or people and then just finds the the joke in them as and that is what's so clever about that particular joke of losing someone and the two meanings and i've put a note down saying this is an early example of andrew marshall looking at the hospitals hospital life and the nhs as a whole in the form of comedy because obviously with his um collaborative work with david renwick he worked on quite satirical stuff about various industries. You know, you had politics with Whoops Apocalypse um, and Hot Metal about the newspaper. Mm. And this is something he actually explores more um, hospital life in a series he did in the 90s called Health and Efficiency. Mm-hmm. Did you watch it when it was on, by any chance? I, we did used to watch it occasionally, actually, but I can't remember much about it, if I'm perfectly honest. But I do do remember it being a thing. Yeah, I haven't seen it, though, not for a long time, not since, you know, the occasional one at the time. Have you watched it? I've watched it twice, actually. I watched it about two years ago, and I watched it again last year um, with... when it just as we were in the first lockdown. And... You know, you hear about some of these shows that that didn't last maybe one or two series and think, oh, you know, they must be really bad. Because sometimes you see trailers for shows and you can judge straight away that they're not going to be very good. But, you know, this has got boasts a huge cast. You've got Gary Olsen, Roger Lloyd Pack, Deborah Norton, Felicity Montague and Victor Maguire, who all all were in 2.4 Children. And Victor Maguire plays the same name doctor in health and officially Dr. Brooke as he is here. So you think, could it be the same character? All in the same, all in the same universe. It could almost be like an unofficial spin-off of 2.4 children. And I watched the two series, wasn't sure about the first one, definitely got had to get into it. It's amazing. I'm 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 absolutely horrified that it's it's not shown anymore because it's very much like it kind of is the follow-on from only when I laugh, the Richard Wilson hospital sitcom. With yeah. the darker humour of getting on, the Joe Brand sitcom, obviously it's it's a studio audience, but, you know, the type of jokes that you see in this episode about hospital life and NHS and medicine, it's all in there. And there's some really funny moments and the performances are fantastic. Gary Olsen in particular plays such a different character to Ben. Um, I, If Network were going to release another obscure sitcom, I think it has to be that one. This one, I think, deserves more credit. And watching it after, the, you know, with everything going on, last few years and now I thought god it's more relevant now to think it was relevant then that's saying a lot it is one of the ones that I hear mentioned every now and again that people will be like oh this was an underrated show Mm. um so yeah it might be something that I dig out actually and see if I can uh, watch it because certainly yeah that's interesting that that um there's a potential for it being the same character um in uh 2.4 children as in health and efficiency but yeah i don't remember it terribly well i I might have been a bit young for it actually really um compared to what 2.4 children was doing i think it's one of those where i i i don't think i'd have enjoyed it a few years ago not just because even just a few years ago not just because of i might not have got the sort of social commentary but just because the humor is quite dark and it's a lot more grown up i mean it's set in a hospital 
it's it, it's not very um it's not, I, mean, I don't know see hospitals are very commercial idea for a series i mean i say that but casualties been running for years mm -hmm. but i think hospitals are because i mean i don't like hospitals anyway but go, but watching one about sitcom it it's it's quite cathartic watching it and same with this episode of two point four children because it's basically saying yes hospital life's awful the nhs is underfunded but we're just gonna have a, a, a really dark laugh about it yeah yeah that's uh, interesting i could i could see that some of the ideas in this episode would be a uh, uh, fertile ground for for more sort of um uh, comedy treatment and, and and i i think he delivered it but i i i think it's as good as the thin blue line um i think it's as good as british empire in terms of a workplace sitcom of that era with that kind of irreverent humor so we move on to a funny moment. Um, we saw Rona earlier on standing outside a bus stop and it was quite a good little shot with the panning across a group of people in normal clothes and she's just stood at the end in a wedding dress, sticking out like a sore thumb. And again, Julie Hill's brilliant with just the, just her look and the body posture, making herself funny without really... It seems like she's doing nothing, but it's actually a lot of, of yeah. depth that she's doing. And I think that's what makes the character work. It's not having to say anything. She speaks to an older lady called Peggy, who is Patsy Byrne, nursey yes. from Blackadder. Yes. And do you remember watching on ITV? Yes, I do. Yeah, that was another one we used to watch. I think we liked it quite as much as uh, most things, but it was one of those that we would watch, if, you know, if it was on. I do remember that she was in that. God, how funny. Yeah, it was um, It was one that my mum liked, and, and she mentioned that, um, I think I might have been watching this episode with my mum, and she mentioned that Patsy Byrne was in it, and... I got it the Christmas the box set for my mum for Christmas a few years ago. And I think she plays quite a snobby woman in 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 um watching. But oh. it's funny watching her in this because she's this kind of well, I say she's an old lady. I felt really guilty because I checked on IMDB and in this episode she was only about 59. Now, <laughs> bearing in mind in mind, my mum was 59 a couple of years ago and she looked nothing like 59. And anyone I know is in their 60s looks younger than Patsy burned it in this and that's no disrespect to her it just goes to show you know she she said she talks like an old lady well saying it's not the same without a conductor is it you know yes, she has that, yes. that kind of random chat with some person on the on the bus and I tell her when she says to Rowan where are you off to then <laughs> it's wonder. such a little treat for this isn't it yeah. that we can have these these little one scene characters that, yeah. that pop up which don't always work in sitcoms and it's, oh. sometimes especially in american sitcoms it's the lead cast have to get all the jokes because yes. they're important they're paid a lot of money and so their egos have to be massaged mm. but what we've got here actually is I don't want to say that it's at all unrewarding what Julie Hills has to do here, but but it's it's she doesn't get a lot of jokes in herself in this episode because it's all about her thinking about the wedding. We get mm. lots of funny things happening around her. And this is a really good example of that, where actually Patsy Byrne is the important person in that scene. That she gets to do the joke and then giving the pot plant and all she... of this sort of stuff. Um, while Julie Hills sort of just gets to look a bit nervous and annoyed and she does it brilliantly mm. but it's it, in another world if this were an american sitcom she would have been given you know joke after joke because she's one of the stars uh, yeah. and that's not what we get here which is quite a, quite nice that other characters are allowed to come in 
and add texture to, to the show. That is a really good point, because I think with with the show, it's, it's one of those sitcoms where you watch an episode and there's have all these guest stars in them, as we said before, obviously with Barbara Loft, and you're like, oh, that's so-and-so from that, that's so-and-so from that. And so it, it, it's sort of, you're getting a name, and obviously Patsy Wynn would have been a big name at this time. And so it's it's making sure that their guest appearance is kind of worth it. And also, as you say, it, it is memorable. Like the only thing, I mean, Rowan obviously sees the, the guy, the plumber guy. And what I love about the way that Richard Bowden directs these uh, location shots is they don't just look like they're just plonking a camera anywhere. There's this little bit of knowing, knowing about the... Um, the shots so you see a close-up of the guy almost like a from Rona's point of view and obviously they've kind of given each other the look and and there's a bit of sort of non-verbal flirtation and I just like the way that Patsy Burns just like who is he then you know thinking <laughs> he's referring to the guy and then it's like no it's Gordon and then it does refer back to the guy about the tools but it's all very good writing and the way the shots go from each character and it's it is brilliant and the way that she gives marriage tips to her Rona that's a bit more I'd say more of an older worldly view than Bill because Bill's obviously a lot younger than this Ben Peggy but she's like hope you've had sex it's never the same after you've married and then it's just the way it's these random these these really left field dialogue things that Randra Marshall comes up with that are brilliant she's like she's like she links it to working in a jam factory when it's all around you don't fancy poking your finger in (laughs) they get fatter more docile (laughs) And sleep a lot, but hey, you're in love. Otherwise, you'd be like the girlfriend of the whirling dervish. And and so this kind of, you know, gives this is the moment of realization. Had you had you ever heard of the girlfriend of the whirling dervish before this episode? Uh probably not before it. No, no. But I knew the song. Um, I mean, the song's a it's a familiar one. Um, but I don't know that I necessarily would have known it before that. Um, but I don't think you need to really. No, it becomes clearer later. Yeah, I mean, I've I've done a bit of research and and see Wikipedia. I just did it on Wikipedia. So it's it's, a, it's considered a novelty song, and it's got a sort of Orientalist jazz music style with a turquoise confusion of its Islamic, Indian, and Western cultural motifs. And so it was used. It's been in in quite a few films from the thirties. And you, sometimes on you on um, Wikipedia they they have um, sort of headings for other bits of information. One of them's in popular culture, and it lists all the other times the song's been used. 2.4 children's not used, not mentioned. No. And I'm thinking it's probably one of the best because the woman sort of sings it to her. And the lyric is, she's the girlfriend of the whirling dervis. She's the sweetest one he's found. But every night in the mellow moonlight, when he's out dervishing with all his might, she gives him the runaround. So it's about someone who is basically married, but is unfaithful. Um, and it's a woman who's unfaithful. So I think it, 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 you can tell on 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 Rona's face and Julie Hill's a very good at piece of acting. You can just tell without any words. This is this is sinking in. This is really relatable yes. to us. It struck a chord. Um, yes, she knows she knows what she's, she's she's thinking about. Yes, yeah, it's great. And then of course, well, as we'll see, it does mean that we get a, a chance for a bit of a musical number, which Two Point Four Children always does so well. Yes, and it's the first one in this one. And, I, and it's again another reason why I think I think this episode is a real turning point. Actually, I think mm. the series is a turning point in the darker elements, but this one inc- includes all facets that make this show work. So we get to the hospital, and again, I like I like these little moments of writing when um, 
when Andrew Marshall lets the characters just reminisce. So we have no knowledge of of where David is. The computers are still down. I love the way in frustration Ben slams his fist on the desk and then it hurts. He's like, ah, he's just like, he's, he thinks he's a matcha man. He's really not. But, you know, there's some great bit when she talks about David was born in a hospital, Jenny's birth. And Jenny says, you know, it's pity there was no video. And Bill says, oh, God, no, you can run it backwards. Bad enough coming out. <laughs> um, and then says, you know, th- this then it all changed by the time David's probably changed again now. And, it, you know, as you say, they've stopped for a bit and they're reflecting on even in the short years they've had children, which isn't, you know, Jenny and David are teenage, which still isn't long in history, how much changes quickly. And, you know, more really great social commentary here. Doctors found where he is. They've got a, a ward to go to and they're just walking through the dingiest looking corridors. I mean, I think clean hospitals look really grim, but this really does if it look like it needs some some DIY on it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, another indication of this is a sort of failing institution um, that, yeah. that we keep coming back to. Do you remember, did you ever watch a TV show years ago called 2D TV on ITV? Oh, God, yeah, I did actually, but not not religiously, but I saw a few. I saw some videos recently. There was a really funny sketch from, it must have been about 2004, where it was a spoof of um, How Clean Is Your House? Remember that on Channel 4? Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Kim and Aggie, the infamous Kim Woodburn. And there's a bit where they go into um, a really dirty room and say, you know, what do you have to say for yourself? And it pans to of this really awful room. It's crowded, dirty, and there's a on the wall that says NHS, and there's a, a hospital, there's an operation going on with dirty yeah. tools on a table. And I'm just thinking, you know, th- this is literally that was what ten. Tw- this was twelve years earlier, and and it's still that grim. Yes, yeah, it's definitely got something to say about yeah this this the difficulties that the NHS has been in and was in at the time but um also it adds to the sort of because it feels as sort of deserted as well it's almost like whether they've gone the wrong way as well I think there's a quite a sense of that it's just that they don't really know where they are because yeah I, certainly whenever I've been to, to hospital they're always just so massive that mm. actually you sort of feel that you could turn the wrong corner and end up on the way to the morgue by accident oh, yeah, yeah I've, I've, I've had that a few times as well it, and it, it, you feel like it's, it's signposted but it's not very it's not as clearly signposted as it, as it thinks it is on the wall no you want a map yes definitely oh, nowadays you could get like they should have like um google you know the google map because that gets yes. me anywhere and you can have a google map in the hospital <laughs> you just yeah. log into the wi-fi and then you're able to get to wherever you need to go one bit i i noticed and I don't, maybe i was just in a sensitive mindset but when they come across the chemotherapy my heart sank a bit. It felt, I felt a little bit sad because it was a bit prophetic considering what happened to Gary Olsen eventually. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's it's a way of showing that it is this massive hospital. I didn't make that connection, I have to say. It, but it's no, sad I see what you mean. Because it's sad when you think of, like, you go into hospitals and, you, you know, you, you kind of know in everyday life people in, are in hospital all the time with, well... In normal times, everything. I mean, you know, it's just but you know, at the moment, obviously, it's all very, very up in the air and, and in a really horrendous state. And it's ignorance is bliss sometimes. But when you're actually in a hospital and you are with a, if you're ill yourself or with a family member who's ill, it just hits home that that is reality every single day. Yeah. And you never know when it when it's going to be your own turn to go in. I don't want to sound like grim when I say that, but I do think the episode. Partly because of the knowledge of, you know, 
Garrelson's untimely death, but also just in general how un unexpected life is. Um, and he does it without saying it sometimes. So we have a bit of a bit of a um bit of a, a light-hearted moment. Well, sort of. You get um but Rona runs up the path to the church, she asks for any man to give her away. And I love it when Pearl chooses Rob. And before and she before she goes up to him and then after she, before she leaves the, the church, she just looks to the front and curtsies. Yes. It's That's a great right. Really yeah. funny moment. And then we go down, and as we said before, the first musical moment in the entire show. Um, we have a, and it's a, it is a very surreal dream sequence, this. She walks down the aisle, and then the lighting changes, and it turns into like a Bollywood style number with the co the core, the choir are dancing. Gordon's dress. Is Gordon dressed as a Marjorie? I, I, I thought he was dressed as some, he's definitely in some kind of religious clothing, isn't he? With the yeah, hat he, and the long robe. What is it? I don't know, but what I would say is that this... Is this the only times that uh, um, musical sequence... Or well, I guess it's one of two, where, where it's actually part of the narrative. Because in the Christmas ones, they're usually at the end. But this yeah. one in the, the series of a fantasy, but within the story. And I guess there's the Blues Brothers one, where it's actually in the story. But usually the musical sequences are... Um, tacked onto the end is like a christmas treat that's yeah. my memory of it yeah there's there's it's re it's rarely it sometimes goes into um the uh main series i think the only other one i can think of blues brothers you mentioned oh, the shirley bassey one i know that oh, they, yes. they dress up as shirley bassey and then mine which i i find that a very i find that very surreal because it, it's sort of out of character and feels dream dreamy a bit like this but it's it's obviously not i like that balance of the fact that the Bruce Brothers one is real, it's a performance on stage. The Shirley Bassey one is kind of a bit of fun, but it seems like it's a dream sequence. This is a pure dream sequence. And yeah. you've got everyone in the church turn to her and sing the girlfriend of the world. And I find it a little bit, I find it slightly eerie, this 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 dream sequence. It feels, it's me, it doesn't feel like it's meant to be funny. It's what it seems oh, wait, to me. I, I do think it's, it's funny, but I, I know what you mean, that it's definitely got this this sort of tone to it. Yeah. That it's it's because it's a scary thing for Rona because Rona's got this big realization now mm. about what this actually means and that God by the time she gets to the end of the aisle she's going to have to really make this decision about what this means uh, about whether she can continue to to go ahead with it. I so think, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's probably why it feels a bit scarier than sometimes do. But I still think it's funny. I think I think that the joke of it really though is that it's happening. I don't know that there's anything necessarily within it that is particularly hilarious but the jokes that she is walking down and all she can think about is whirling dervish is right. um is in itself quite funny very funny the funniest bit for me is when she the close-ups on her face and there's one bit where there's like um an, a, a, a list of names to the side of her face the only it's only faintly seen it's not something that's quite clear but it's a list of all these names and one of them says a guy and then in brackets twice, you know, so she's like someone that she doesn't know, you know, it's all these names of people she's, um, she's slept with. Yeah. It's, a, it's great the way it abruptly finishes. She's at the, at the top of the um, aisle, turns to Gordon, she goes, sorry. And then just runs out. It, yeah. it is really, it, it sort of, it's gone from all this razzmatazz, big music and lighting and then silence, except for her running away. It's quite a funny image. 
is and it's again though it's because there's so much to get through in this episode in a way so mm-hmm. i guess the balance you don't need to have or want a big heart to heart about you know why is it's not going ahead it's um much funnier to actually do it like that i would say i love pearl's reaction and this is an early hint to what we learn later on about pearl's identity oh do i spoil it or not oh wow it's up to you so okay spoiler alert for the next five seconds if you want to cover their ears pearl's rona's mother um and the way she says um oh bow in a jock strap you know she says it she, she's quite a, a pristine lady quite 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 um old-fashioned but she says something like that which is more of a rona thing i'm just like it's a bit a bit different but it says a lot about the, the links between them yes yes so we're back in the hospital they're still looking for david and i and i love again bill just doesn't even in the crisis she doesn't lose her wit when they go past geriatric and jenny says comments oh they don't look old bill says yes well maybe they'd start them younger these days i don't know <laughs> <laughs> and then another brilliant harsh a bit of a nasty gag is when they find themselves back to where they started and a, be- a bed is pulled out with a ban- a man's asleep in inverted commas with a blanket covered up to his throat Bill asks for directions. The man's hand falls from the blanket and points to the next corridor. They run off and the doctor comes back and covers his face and pulls the bed away. It's so bleak. These these scenes wouldn't seem out of place in like League of Gentlemen or 99. It is re- or even one from the baby. It's very pitch black humour. It's really dark. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is. And I don't know if you can get away with it more because you're constantly moving on to something else but yeah very dark I, I thought that when when re-watching these that it surprised me how often that that was the case yeah it, it feels like um it's type of humor that you don't get in a prime time second we think of it more as adult comedy um like even something like as re- i mean brass eye is particularly grotesque but still it, you know it's um it's how you perform and it's done very subtly it's, it's not as not as graphic as it could be in in the way it's filmed so they find mm. the, the children's ward david's in bed with a breathing and i found that really sad to see that i've seen this episode many times but i just watched it thinking oh my god that is really quite imagine being a parent finding your child in that yeah position i th- i yeah and it's obviously set up for that the, the expectation because it's again directed very well that the mm. sort of reveal of that moment that you're expecting david to be sort of sat up and and there but actually you know, he's got this tube and he's on the machine and everything so yeah i think there is this this moment where you bring it back down to the drama something that i i meant to mention before but i mm. think is quite significant about when i was watching these two episodes we're thinking about the church scene and everything mm. is that I think that if you were to show this to, to a director who's making sitcoms now, they would sort of die of envy looking at the budget for this show, because yes. although you, I don't think anyone thinks of it as being an expensive show. If you think about the, the, the cast, like how many actors there are in it, how many locations there are, mm. how much of it is done in different ways, you just can't get away with that now. You just don't have the budget to be having all this location filming, as well as a large cast at the wedding, as well as a musical number, as well as sort of fantasy sequences. We're about to come to another sort of half fantasy sequence and lots of speaking characters. You just would have it struck off the car- the script, you know, at the first run now, because you, you would be expected to be able to pretty much film this in your 
couple of hours of a Wednesday evening in front of a studio audience. So I, I, I think that's a really important thing to remember that actually it's, it's much more expensive than the sitcoms often are now. I completely agree. I think the 90s for me, my, my, for my money, the 90s is my personal favourite era for the for British studio sitcoms. I think the words I think of that come to my mind is ambitious, innovative, and I think they were trying to do something different with these things and, and be more um, out there. I think, as you say, sitcoms, people, certainly now, with as you say, is clearly much less money goes into them because they just want it to be easy, funny watching and not really anything with a lot of depth or any ambition. And I think, um, as you say, that the, the set is particularly good. With I mean, I know some of it will be um, studio and some will be location, but the way that the hospitals look like a real hospital they look like oh even the scenes we clinton you know they've gone from location studio it still looks like it's all in the same building which you don't get now nowadays studio sitcoms look like sets yeah it was interesting i've just um a few weeks ago finished reading the new victoria wood biography oh, yes. and it was interesting that there was mention in there about now, i appreciate she was victoria woods and so she may well have had special status but when she was doing a scene on tv there was never a single conversation it, it seems where, where anyone spoke to her about budget that, yeah. that actually she just wrote what she wanted and they found a way to do it and that is just so the opposite to the way that well just about anything but certainly comedies are written now and i know that even back in the, the sort of time of Little Britain, yeah. um, I remember reading Lucas and William saying, because I think the first season's eight episodes long or something, and them saying that actually they were returning to the same sketches and characters time and time again, because that's the only way that you could do it economically, yeah. was to, to have a tack on an extra two episodes that you don't necessarily want in a sketch show, make it eight rather than six half hours and keep going back to the same characters and, and situations. Now for them, that was a massive success, but actually it's not the ideal way to do a sketch show is that you want to be able to do lots of different things each week. Yeah. And and that's a very good point because if you think about a scene on TV now, I'm just, I'm just going through it all in my head now because I watched all the, the, the Victoria's Secret lists over Christmas. I'm obsessed. I've got her book actually right on my shelf now. I, I'm, I'm going to be reading it soon. You think the only recurring thing is stand-up starting it, like Acorn Antiques, um, the, the announcer, Susie Blake's um, TV announcer, which is is quite an, a, a simple set. And yet, you're right, you know, she does all these different... Um, sketches but also different styles so you have the mockumentary ones you have the adverts you have mini sort of comedy based ones which are clearly in the studio and again it it's it, it, it was a, it seems to me that era the mid 80s to i suppose late 90s i'd say really felt like comedy was experimenting and, and i felt like the bbc and, and other stations channels were, were were proud to put money into it i feel like nowadays it's almost like we've gone to a bygone era of cheap comedy both to look at and and just a gag a minute sort of thing yeah, Again, yeah i don't I want to sound so. a snob when i say that but you know there's a lot of great moments in this episode where again it's going back to what we said in the previous episode about you have time to give the characters time to react not just laugh so you know the acting in it is brilliant i love the way claire woodgate um going back to what we we're saying before about her and she is good at being, she is the stroppy teenager, but she is good at this moment where she clearly sees she's devastated about what's happening to her brother. 
Do you know, yeah. she really loves him deep down. She would never wish this on him. No, and no, no. She asks, and Gary Olson, I still think, you know, what a loss he was, because he is great at the comedy and he's great at the subtle moments, like him saying to Jenny, she should go home and, mm. you know, but, you know, she wants to stay. And then when Bill's holding his hand and it's very solemn and sad, do you know she can't hear him? And then when they... <laughs> recollect about his third birthday when she calls him a little bastard and Kate yes. Avery showed up or when he was at school nativity and he waved his woolly at the Virgin Mary you know it, it's these little moments that are just really you know again breaks the tension slightly um, now am I right in saying mm. that because you all know this and I don't that that as the series progresses the uh, uh, difference in age between um, the two children, Jenny and, and David, does it shrink? Because it feels at this time it's about four years or so. Is that right? And then later on, it seems like there's only about two years between I, them. Or is that just my imagination? I, I think I, I, I agree. I, I think I think these the first two series are actually in quite, uh, I think, or within a year. Oh, set in, in the same time, sort of about maybe six months to a year. Um, obviously they've been broadcast one year apart but I think they're actually in a shorter time frame so I th- I think David's about 13 okay. Jenny's doing her GCSEs so that'll make a 16 so I'm assuming that we've been the same age back then mm. yeah GCSE 16 but they do say the same they have there's definitely a few years where they stay the same age with yes. the Christmas specials and so, certainly in the last series in 99 Bill specifically states that Jenny's 19 right. so for at least five four years they're the same age but I, I i don't know if their ages change i'm not I, sure I, actually yeah i just always got the sense that at this time and maybe it's just because things change as you get older but later on there is much less sense of david being the kid brother mm. and 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 jenny being sort of more responsible so the older one it feels much more later on like there is maybe you know they're, they're, they're much more close together and yeah. there is that weird thing about when Jenny goes to, to university and I said anyway I, I'm sure it's just a it's what you've got to do isn't it to keep the show running I'm not complaining yeah. but I'm just wondering whether that is something that is just my impression or whether yeah. the series does play around with their ages a little bit yeah I, I think I think it's it's done well enough in that you don't really question it for a while for a while it's okay because the stories are so fresh but I do think the time that series seven when things start to change I think if you were watching it back then I know you will have been I personally for me if I was sort of watching it then I'd have been like I don't know if I can buy them being in school for another minute, another year <laughs> yes. really um yeah. so Jenny um, is sitting with a guy called Jason who's a boy who'll be a boyfriend in the next series and Ben I always like how Ben plays the kind of protective dad who, who's trying not to be um you know tries to show being be a macho man and stuff um towards jenny's boyfriends but he's he's just a big softy which i like about him yeah and this next scene with rona in the call and this is something i noticed what you're saying before about the big budget this scene is so short and yet it's a scene i, I, I reckon it's a studio set this one she goes into the civic hall and there's all the food, which obviously will have been using birds on a wire, all the presents, the cake. I love it when she grabs the groom from the top and then drops in the bowl of pudding, <laughs> um, shakes a few presents and assumes two of them are a toaster. The other one was a long present and, and she rattled and said, not a toaster. I I, I, I took that to be something rude. <laughs> I yes, don't know why. me too. Yeah, yes. I don't know why, but it just, but it's Rona. So I think um, Rona's, it would be something that Rona would, 
would have. But I reckon, and, and I don't know this, I'd have to find out, I wonder if these two episodes were filmed together at the same night, because oh. if they have... a lot of location, isn't there? So you, so you might well be able to do that. Yeah, and also because it's two parts, you'd have mm. to go, it. you'd have to be the same audience for the second part, unless they've edited the first part and showed it to the audience before they went, they watched the recording. Yeah, I have known that happened. They, they, really? Okay. Uh, at some recordings, they've shown bits of earlier episodes because there's loads of gaps at any sort of recording. So as part of the warm-up, you might show um, some... Sometimes you might show them uh, even, like, location sequences from other episodes because you might want to get a slightly different laugh track from what you yeah. had, you know, on the night and stuff like that. So it's, it's possible. Um, but I actually think that because so much of this is, you know, out on location, you might find that actually it would be quite practical to do 30 minutes, say, of actual record... You know, recording 30 minutes worth of material in one evening is certainly doable um mm. and and yeah so if you've gone out and you've done it there's obviously a few two-parters and i think i personally would would want to know if i was going in the last recording as an audience member what went on before to understand it so <clears throat> i mean it's all it's very interesting to learn about the production side of how they make these shows because you think you, one way and then it turns out it's something different that that's so well put together mm. so she looks outside and she, well, she looks at the bride on the cake and says, thank you, lucky stars, the name of the episode. Looks outside and there's a scene, she looks at the stars, says it's time to make a wish. And then it almost pans in the same sky into the, um, the bed, David's bed in his ward. And in this scene, it's definitely a different um, a studio set because, mm. I mean, this scene is just, it, I think it's incredible because... I've had a bit of a spiritual awakening in the last few years. So I have got quite a, a I'm not religious, but more of I, I believe in sort of spirituality and stuff. So this idea that David's standing opposite the biker, Angelo, and we learned that he's, he's the one who had the St. Christopher and David took it from his grave and they're discussing life and death. And he admits feeling, David says he feels unloved by his family and the way, it, even in the scene in the Civic Hall, the, the lighting of it, it's quite hypnotic. It's like purple and sparkly. And I just, I think it's really, really cleverly put together. And it's played so seriously as well. Well, this is going to be a point at which we disagree because <laughs> I actually don't particularly like this bit because right. um, I think the idea of it, I absolutely can see and I can understand the principle of it. But uh, first of all, I'm not, that interested in the biker anyway yeah perhaps, perhaps it but also i don't buy what david says like i right. don't think that david has been neglected i don't think that he has been made no. to feel the way that in this scene he expresses himself so i watched it and i, I know i've heard it before when i've watched it before but when i watched it last night i was thinking well where's this come from you know it's a busy day and it's not like he was being completely ignored so um yeah, I, but maybe that's because I'm not at all spiritual. <laughs> so I just sort of wanted to get to the to the next bit. But for me, I didn't buy that bit. Um, and it's about the only bit in the two episodes that really makes me go, oh, I'm not not quite sure I, I, I go along with mm. that. I, it feels like I could, it feels a bit like maybe this was sketched out as an idea for the whole series, yeah. maybe at the beginning of series two, but that in actuality, when 
the way that the series progressed up to that point didn't particularly end up making it feel like David's being ignored and everything. And that maybe that's an idea that got put to the wayside a bit and didn't end up being embraced because yeah, for me, I didn't, it, it doesn't really quite work for me, but it's interesting that for you, obviously it really does. So I, I don't hate it or anything, but it doesn't, it doesn't ring true to me. I think, I think for me, it's more the the way of the idea of the, the, the limbo and stuff. I, I just think that's so different. I don't see it very often in, in, a, in a comedy. What I will say, I do agree with what you say about him. I don't agree with what David says, but I, the, what I kind of boil that down to is, if you think about what kids can can be like, and certainly like teenagers, sometimes they don't always listen to parents or, or don't always think what parents do is the right thing. But, mm. you know, as children, kids can, we can, I mean, a lot of people can probably relate to this. We all sort of sometimes when you grow up you don't always understand or appreciate what your parents do and I think this isn't for me I just thought I just took it to mean he just thinks like um you know he um he sort of misinterprets the fact that actually they're just busy and providing for him and, and actually talking to him but he doesn't think that and then it's because it's all in his mind as well this mm. bit this is this is his mindset speaking I just think the I the notion of ki- of nearly killing off a child in a family sitcom in limbo i i just can't imagine my family or mrs brown's boys doing anything like this i think it's so out there and 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 the way it's all the serious parts in these episodes are played so are so kind of straight and not not got any like laughter in it at all it's just doing it for effect really that's why that's actually that's just my personal feeling about it i just like the way it's all looks yeah, and I think it does it it does work for what it needs to achieve. It yeah. was just that, that for me that that bit of it didn't quite ring true. But yeah. Um, yeah, no, I see what you mean. And then we go from that sort of fantasy sequence to back to reality, and then Bill and Ben are outside looking at um, Jason, and they have a chat about what boys are like. And I, I like the way that they that their little conversations about things, and you know, it's it's sort of I'm saying not relevant to the plot, but it builds their relationship and builds their lives up. So we learn that about you know levels of intimacy, which is basically bases. We would know now as base one, base two, base three goes up to base 10 and then Bill says, you know, well, you don't, you don't have to carry num- base at number 11 for nine months. And then they talk <laughs> about the difference between men having advantages. And the weird thing is, of all the things that you can say men have advantages over women, first thing that Bill says is skirt doesn't blow up when it's windy. That's not the first thing I think of. I think I know the very first thing. Well, the fact that Ben says about, you know, you don't have parts of you shriveling up when it gets cold, I'm thinking you could, they could have said periods. Because that is the obvious thing that we first think of with the difference between men and women. But not for Ben, not for Ben. It would definitely be that, because you could imagine Ben being a bit confused about, you know, just some of the practicalities and not wanting to know about anything that was uh, that was more, um, had more depths to it or uh, than thinking about how to skirts work and things like that. Well, there's, well, there's that bit in, um, I think it's Hormones, when Bill thinks she's pregnant and Ben has a suspicion and then Rona kind of says, he, he got queasy when I talked about women's bits. And then Bill says, isn't it wonderful mention the womb and you can hear their testicles shriveling in Aberdeen, in Aberdeen which is a really yes. sums up his um his approach to it all yeah so the next bit is and it's sort of a really nice way to end the episode he goes into the room to speak to David and he refers back to what love is which they discussed in the car and said he would tell him 
and he and in the end he just says that's why I want you back I love you he says and it, it doesn't feel gushy or for me personally it doesn't feel gushy or sentimental it actually feels like it's, it's prevalent and I think yeah. actually going with what we just said about the limbo scene if David can hear them and stuff you know it, well obviously he'll have woken up on his own he's medically he's clearly getting better but yeah. it's a tender moment that's destroyed when David wakes up and vomits on Ben's shoes. Yes. <laughs> I, well, I think that the show has earned both of those moments as well, that it's earned the fact that it can have a moment of slight cheesiness of saying that, that he wants him back, but it's true. Um, and then sort of the immediate swivel to, to being a, a bit of a hot <laughs> comedy of, uh, yeah, throwing up over those people that is uh, exactly the sort of thing that two before children is all about is that sort of mixture of reality yeah. and uh, pushing it to as far as you can go definitely and i think what, what what it proves is you can have serious ideas in a sitcom and you can have these tender moments these reflective moments, but as long as the the comedy is genuinely funny and there's lots of laugh out loud moments in this and it you know um when Carla Lane pitched the idea for butterflies um to the BBC head of the comedy of BBC saying I want to write about uh, a woman who has who's contemplating an affair they said oh no no that's for drama and so she wrote the script for the first episode sent it to the beat the same guy and he came back with a note saying who am I to um mm. what say who am I he said, I think he said who am I to Question of Butterfly, five more episodes, please. I think it's the knowledge that if, because I find Butterfly is very funny, actually. I think it's more funny than, I think people assume it's quite genteel, but it's got some quite good moments in it. And I think this episode shows as well, they has to, when you make something funny, you've really got to put in the effort to remind everyone, this is a sitcom. This yeah. is actually a comedy. And I love the final scene when they leave the hospital and obviously David's looking better. He's got some toys as, as sort of, get well soon gifts and they hire that giant pink truck and go to that smiley face crop circle it's just like the giant emoji isn't it yes it is <laughs> i tried to find out where that is um and all i can find was there was um, a, a, a crop circle like that in dundee park um that was found a few years ago i just think it's a really great little way to end it and and it's quite fun because the family are just having a laugh. They're just running yeah. around and, and it's... It's a big sunshine. reset button, isn't it? To go, yes. things are back to normal. And, you know, there's but there's there's still more to come. We know that, you know, Rona's story isn't over and there's, there's still more to be interested. But it's a really good way to sort of put a cap on what's, you know, an even stronger series, I think, than the first one. Yes, I, I, I think the second series, um, and I think really some... I think this episode in particular sums up the second series in what it does. I think the second series of 2.4 Children, I think has, you know, if some people might like it, some people might not, you know, it might be seen as an experiment that kind of was didn't was a bit misguided in some ways. But what I do think is it has a darkness to it and a tonality that's so rare for a studio sitcom and that we just haven't gone since. And I think it's slightly different even to the one foot type of darkness because one from the Great doesn't really have a lot of story arcs, whereas this one, two point one, generally does. Mm. I dare the BBC in twenty twenty one to broadcast or commission a, a studio sitcom with something like what we see in these episodes, and I just don't think they could do it. I really don't. I think that now we've gone to a point where twenty years on, the the the, the comedies are just the same. That they're, they're just not particularly ambitious enough 
Am I being cynical? Comedy is, <laughs> is something that also does work in fashion and cycles, though. So mm, yeah. I certainly wouldn't rule anything out. But I don't don't think you would do it as a family, as an uh, audience sitcom now. No, I think no. that's the thing. But I could see this sort of of, of sitcom happening, um, but not not in the same sort of a way. Not now, anyway. But yeah. who knows? In ten years, all you need is there, there to be that one breakthrough show yes. again. That, that leads the way for people to be doing things differently. But this was different at the time anyway. So exactly. what else are you going to do? I mean, it's, it's, I think in a way it's nice to sort of, I'm much more interested in them, the episodes being made readily available um, yes. than, than worrying about whether they're going to be making anything like it again. Because yeah, I agree. I've, I've, you know, for me, it already exists, which is this. So, yes, having it out on on DVD in particular would be uh, would be really good. I think for me, it's one of those where it's been twenty years since it's ended, um, thirty years this year since it began, and you know, time is going quickly. I recognise that. Um, I'm in my mid. I'm only in my. I'm only. Gonna, I'm soon to be twenty six, but I recognise time is going very quickly. You know, time can go along further, and yet. TV will forever repeat Only Fools and Horses, The Good Life, Dad's Army, Hello, Hello, but 2.4 Chill will just be left behind. That's what's the worry for me, is that it might just disappear. And from what we've talked about, I, I still think it's worthy of this uh, more appraisals than it gets. Definitely. So, Dr. Mark Aldridge, out of five stars for these two episodes, what will you give it? Uh, I'm going to give it five stars. Is that a cheat to give it five stars? But I did get to choose the episode that I was going to discuss. Absolutely. So I am, of course, picking ones that I particularly like. Um, so despite, you know, one or two very minor things that I, I didn't quite buy, you know, the Badger and the uh, uh, David sort of meeting with um, Angelo, um, I, I think it's so strong. It works on really every level. Everyone gets a real moment to shine. It gets to be funny. Uh, obviously, very consistently, whilst having drama that really works. And yeah, it's the beginning of an era of the show where I think it's it's at its strongest. So yes, for me, it's, it's, a, it's a solid five. I'm giving it a five as well. And I think the way I kind of judge the, 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 the rating, what makes the difference between a four-star episode and a five-star episode is four stars is, I always think it's like a solid sitcom episode, very well written, very well produced, but not very different to other sitcoms. Whereas a five-star episode, or in this case, the two-parter, these are the episodes I would advise anyone who thinks this show is run-of-the-mill or predictable or just, you know, all the things that people talk about it. I'd, I'd say watch these episodes and come back to me. And if you still think that they are, you know, that, that it's like my family, I, I, I think you won't have watched it because that's not <laughs> the case. Mark, it's been fantastic having you on the show. Um, I'd love to have you on it again at some point. Sure. Uh, there's loads of, of ones I'd be happy to talk about. So, yeah, let's have a chat. Perfect. So, um, before Thank we, you. You're very welcome. And before we um, go off today, just remind everyone where they can find you and about your latest book. So, yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Mark Aldridge or my website, markoldridge.info. And, uh, yes, most recently I've written a book uh, that's uh, the official history of uh, Hercule Poirot, Agatha Christie's Poirot, 100 years of the character. So uh, you can find that in any bookshop pretty much of your choice. 
still waiting for the day. I'd, I mean, t- t- when you took that picture um, in the bookshop on, on in Twitter, was it someone who did it for? Was it someone who took the picture for you? Was it at one point? It depends. Uh, the first few, because I where I lived, none of the bookshops were open initially, but and somebody was near one that was open. But I, I did uh, every time I've gone somewhere when we're not in lockdown, I do go and check the shelves. Crazy not to. Why not? Um, it's 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 yeah. your achievement. It's it's your it's what you've worked on for so. Long. And it won't That's be there amazing. for long. They've got a hell of a turnover, so I'll, I'll <laughs> savor it while I can. Absolutely. Well, congratulations again on your on your success in all the books, and we look forward to your next appearance on the show, but also your next project. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, everyone, for listening. So that ends the main part of series two of Two Point Four Children. Next week, um, I will have the return of Forrest, who's been on the show before. He will be reviewing the very first Christmas special entitled Misery. And until then, thank you for listening, everybody, and thank you, Lucky Stars. Goodbye.